We would worship our God again now in the reading and the hearing of his word. And you can see in your bulletin that we are turning to the last chapter in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Just to get our bearings here, our theme theme in this sermon series lately is the habits of grace, the life that we're called to live as Christians. It is a life of experiencing the grace of God, and we experience that grace in part as he graciously smiles upon our regular efforts, our habitual efforts to seek and serve him, thus the habits of grace. And for the past few Sundays, our theme has been the weekly habit of keeping the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So we started there and we talked about how now it's the first day of the week that we keep holy to God thanks to the resurrection of our Savior. And then a few Sundays ago, Dave had some more to say on that theme. We talked about what it looks like practically to keep that one day holy. The Lord's Day is rightly observed when his people rest from their daily callings in order to delight in and honor him. So that's where we've been lately. This week, we're going to make a move as we press on in our sermon series. This week, we're going to move into the kinds of habits and disciplines that mark our Christian lives throughout the week. So yes, the first day of the week, we keep holy to God, but then every day of the week, including Monday through Saturday, we keep up certain habits and disciplines of holiness, and we do so because God has loved us, and we want to walk in that love all week long, every day. And that includes, and this is going to be our focus today, that includes our habits and routines of of reading the Bible. So that's going to be our focus today, and perhaps not just today, maybe for a few weeks, our habits and routines of reading the Bible. We want to have some sense of how important it is that we're seeking out God's Word as a matter of heartfelt habit really important, and Ephesians 6 is a really good place to go in order to be reminded of that. So let me read for us Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. You can see in your bulletin, we'll be training our attention on a few verses there, 14 to 17, but let's back up to verse 10 and see how Paul gets into it. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So this is the word of God given through the Apostle Paul. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your servant, Paul, who wrote these words. We thank you, above all, for your Holy Spirit, by whom he wrote them. And now it is that same Spirit who is at work in us and among us, so that we might understand and rise up and live like it. And that is our prayer now, Spirit of God, Spirit of the living God. Come and do your gracious work among us. We trust in Christ. We boast in him. We boast in his cross. Amen. Well, in a sermon series on the habits that shape and define the Christian life, the one that we're talking about here today is surely the one that immediately comes to mind for most Christians, and understandably so. It is perhaps the best-known expectation of the Christian life that we ought to read our Bible every day. Call it what you will, a daily quiet time, or personal devotions, or private worship, or whatever. It goes by many names. It is well known by those many names. In a sense, we can say, it's not quite so well known in the Bible itself. The expectation that every Christian is going to read his Bible every day. And I say that because, just stop and think about it, it's a relatively recent phenomenon in church history that most Christians can be counted on to have their own copy of the Bible, let alone a bunch of them let alone a bunch of them in electronic format. So it's not like we're going to go back to the Bible and find a verse in the Bible that says, read your Bible every day. But what we do find, and this is why we're going to Ephesians 6 today, what we do find in the Bible are passages that tell us to be armed with the Word. Passages that tell us that we ought to be hungry for the Word. Passages that tell us that we vitally need what's to be found in the Word. And the implication of those passages is, yes, we are regularly going to be reaching for our Bibles here in the 21st century in order to express that and to experience that. And Ephesians 6 is one of those passages. It was several years ago that we made our way through the book of Ephesians, 
So this morning, I suppose, this is like going back to tour a facility that we haven't visited in a long, long time. And in this case, the facility just so happens to be an armory. In this passage, Paul's talking about how we need to be armed for spiritual conflict. And there's a lot in here as Paul takes us on the tour. There's a lot in here that has to do with the Word of God. So let's just walk through it. It's printed there in your bulletin in case that helps, beginning at verse 14. Paul says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Having fastened on the belt of truth. Likely what he's describing there is that girding up of a man's flowing garments so that he can move well, so that he can move freely so that he's not restricted in his movements, especially for the sake of battle. And Paul calls it there, the belt of truth. Think about that. The belt of truth. Sometimes the word truth refers to objective truth. In other words, the truth that's to be found taught in and by the Word of God. Other times the word truth refers to the personal truthfulness and integrity that ought to be characteristic of the Christian. And the fact is, both of those meanings fit here. The Christian, if he's going to stand his ground, he needs to gird himself both with the truth of God's Word and with the integrity of life that God works in us by that Word. Notice what Paul says next. He says, having put on The breastplate of righteousness. There's something about righteousness that has a protecting effect. And this, too, can refer to different things. There's the righteousness that ought to characterize the Christian in his thoughts and words and deeds. There's also the righteousness of Christ, which has been counted to the Christian in his justification. And both of those things are true. And both of those things fit here as well. Our righteousness of character protects us from those who want to smear our reputation, and our righteousness of justification protects us from the accusations of the evil one himself. And again, both of those we get from the Word, as God blesses the Word in our lives. Notice how Paul keeps going, verse 15. He says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. A soldier needs good footwear if he's going to be ready. If he's going to be able to stand firm, if he's going to be able to move quickly, that's part of being ready. And Paul says it's the gospel of peace because it's good news by which... We are made to be at peace with God and at peace with one another as well. The gospel of peace. Notice what he says next. Look at verse 16. He says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield of faith. And think about shields in Paul's day. 
The shield that Paul's referring to here, it was a big shield that Roman soldiers carried. It could be around four feet tall, two and a half feet wide. It was so wide that soldiers could stand side by side and put their shields side by side and make a kind of wall. And what they were guarding themselves against wasn't just arrows. It was flaming arrows. It was arrows that had been dipped in pitch and set on fire before being shot. And what that meant was you didn't just need a big shield. You needed a shield that had a kind of leather covering over it to put out those flames when you were shot at. So if you were going to stand your ground, you needed to arm yourself in a way that took into account just how deadly your enemy was determined to be and just how clever he could be in coming up with these awful mortal weapons. Well, the devil is determined to be deadly. In a sense, we can say he knows what he's doing in coming up with awful mortal weapons of his own. And what that means is that we have to have faith. Paul says that's the shield, the shield of our own faith. There is no flaming arrow that the evil one can send your way that faith cannot extinguish. Not because it's our faith and we pat ourselves on the back, but because it's faith in, again, the Word. The Word of God has an answer. The Word of God can extinguish every one of those arrows. That's what gives our faith the protecting, extinguishing power that it has. The fact that it is faith, not just in anything or anyone, but in God and in His Word and what we find there. What does Paul say next? Take a look at verse 17. Again, we're just making our way through. Verse 17. He says, Take the helmet of salvation. We guard ourselves with the truth of what Jesus has done for us to save us and what he has given us, including the forgiveness of sins and what he is going to give us, what he is going to bring about when he comes back in the end to bring to consummation the work of salvation. And we put that on like a helmet that guards our heads. What does he say next? He says, you've got to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word is a sword. It is the sword of the Spirit because it was the Spirit who forged it. And now it's the same Holy Spirit who trains us to take it and wield it. So it's, it's a lot that Paul mentions in there. Truth Righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, word. And then there's one more thing that he mentions, though it's not so much our focus today, but we should mention it, and it is prayer. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Fitting, isn't it, that that's the one that rounds all of that out? Because we can arm ourselves in all of the ways that Paul has just described with the Word, and then we need to pray. Because it is God by His grace who blesses that Word in our lives so that we are guarded well, so that we wield it well.
So there's our overview. There's a walkthrough, verses 14 through 17. And as I said, there's a lot in there that has to do with our relationship to the Word of God. The point is, we need to be armed with it. Ephesians 6, we need to be armed with the Word of God, which we have now in the writings. These writings that have been given to us by God. We need to be armed with the Word. Ephesians 6. And of course, the point is that we need to be armed with it because we are up against all sorts of temptations that would push us and and pull us away from truth and truthful living. And it's the Word, and only the Word, that has the answer for them, so that we're guarded against them, so that we can be strengthened in the face of them. From the moment you wake up in the morning, every day, including today, you find yourself pushed and pulled by so many different factors, pushed and pulled to disbelieve and to disobey. You find yourself positively assaulted with so many different temptations to deny God and the gospel. That's reality. That's what life is like in this age. So, for example, you're pushed to believe that God's love for you ran out yesterday, if he ever loved you at all. So that you're a child of wrath again. Well, the word that you're called to arm yourself with, the word has an answer for that. For example, Romans 8.1, which says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or Romans 5.1, which says, Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it really is the gospel of peace. Or another example, you're tempted to fly off the handle today at somebody. Again, maybe the same somebody that you blew up against yesterday. Well, the Word has an answer. The Word has something to say to prep you for that. Like Proverbs 14, where it says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Or another example, you're tempted to lust, whether in your mind or on a screen or there at the office water cooler where a little innocent flirtation never hurt anybody, you tell yourself. The Word says otherwise. The Word has an answer. The Word has something to say. Jesus had something to say, and it's recorded for us in the Scriptures. He said, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Or another one, you're assaulted with the thought that things are never really going to change. That itself is a temptation to be pushed and and pulled to lapse into that kind of hopelessness. It's always going to be this way. Same as it ever was. Same depressing headlines in the news. Same brokenness in human lives, including yours. The Word has an answer. And that answer is that that helmet we put on, which is the hope of salvation. We could keep going. That's just a sampler. Over and over again, as as you survey the temptations that come your way day after day, to disbelieve, to disobey, over and over again, in every case, the Word has an answer. 
And so you're to be armed with it. It's not as if you have to have the precise wording of a specific Bible verse in mind in order to resist temptation. And we can be realistic. It's not as if knowing specific Bible verses guarantees that you will resist temptation. In theory, at least, you could have the whole Bible memorized and still collapse like a sandcastle when trials and temptations come along. But still, even allowing for that, we can say this much. If you are not seeking to know the Word with some measure of specificity and precision, then you're missing out on the resource that the Bible can be and must be in your life in the face of trials and temptations. So earlier in our service, we heard Psalm 119, verse 11, where he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word in my heart in advance so that I'm armed, so that I'm prepped, so that I'm ready for the temptations that I know are going to come my way. And there is, there is a particular power in the face of those temptations, a power that comes from taking this word, reaching for it, imbibing it, internalizing it, so that we have it at the ready in those moments. So, for example, in the face of the temptation to lust, it's one thing to say, I shouldn't. It's more powerful to say, Jesus called this adultery. Or the temptation to despair. It's one thing to say, God loves me. And that's a good thing to say. And that helps. And you should say it. But isn't it a more powerful thing to say, as the Apostle Paul said, recorded for us in the writings, Galatians 2, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Knowing the word like that, With the blessing of the Spirit, that makes for greater strength. And brothers and sisters, let's be candid with the enemies we have, including the evil one himself. We need every single ounce of strength that's at our disposal. And that means not settling for vague, fuzzy notions of what's true and right. Don't settle for fuzzy. Don't settle for dull. The word of God is a sharp sword. So let us be sharp in our own thinking and living and resisting thanks to the word. We need to know it well. And in order to be encouraged in all of this, this this need that we have to be armed with the word like this, remember Christ. Remember the one who is your captain and champion in spiritual warfare. Remember the one who engaged in combat with the evil one long before you ever did, and it was combat much fiercer than you'll ever experience. Isaiah 11 talks about how the Messiah would come into the world clothed. He would come armed. And Jesus did. And it's a very good thing that he did. The Gospels tell us about how he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Three different temptations that we're told about in that episode. And every time in the face of all three of them, Jesus knew that the word had an answer. 
And he knew it, and he knew it well already. So that in that moment, he was armed. He was prepped. He was readied. First temptation, Jesus answers, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Second temptation, Jesus answers, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Third temptation, Jesus answers, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It is written, it is written, it is written. Not only has God spoken, But God has provided that what he has spoken be written down. So that that word by which we're armed becomes the the fixed and and reliable and, and eminently knowable possession of the church and of Christians. It is written. It is written. It is written. So we look to Christ And we see in that moment of combat in the wilderness, we see an illustration of how the Word works in temptation. And and thinking about Christ, let's, let's underscore this. Jesus needed the Word. We need to be able to say that. As true man, in his true humanity, Jesus of Nazareth needed the Word of God. Jesus, son of Mary, needed the word of God if he was going to to stand his ground and withstand in the evil day. He was true man. He needed the word. And, mindful of his own need in his true humanity, he knew the word. You can see it in Jesus' own example. Jesus didn't settle for fuzzy didn't settle for vague, fuzzy notions of what's true and right. He had so mastered and internalized the Word of God that it was a sharp sword ready at hand in his hand. And so we see in his own example what this might look like in our own lives too. The Word of God, which we have now in the writings, studied, mastered, internalized, that word becomes a sword ready at hand in ours, just like his. So we fix our eyes on Christ for that example, but then we can also say this, we fix our eyes on Christ for mercy because sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we fail. Here we're talking today about the vital importance of, of being armed with the word. And I know, even as we reflect upon these things, we are all mindful of the fact that we don't walk worthy of this calling entirely as we should. Sometimes you're pushed and pulled to disobe- disobey and disbelieve, and you blow it. You don't stand in that moment against the schemes of the devil. You don't withstand in the evil day. What then? Well, thankfully, the answer is the same, which is that you wield the Word of God as somebody who has sinned against God. Because as we've been reminded, what we find in the Word, among other things, among many things, is the truth of salvation. What we find there, sure enough, 
is a gospel of peace. Good news for sinners by which we are brought back to God after all. So whenever you fall, whenever you fail to stand against some temptation because you weren't rightly armed with the word, in that moment, well, now there's a new temptation having been knocked down. And that new temptation is to stay down and quit. Whatever you do, whispers the evil one in subtle ways. Whatever you do, don't get up. Don't repent. Don't avail yourself of the blood of Jesus. Don't believe in the forgiveness of sins. Just stay down. Quit. See, that's, that's now the temptation. In the wake of our own sin, that's what the enemy wants when we have failed. And the word has an answer. And the answer begins with Jesus. He never fell. Not once. He always stood every time, including when it was time to stand up and rise up and die. And to pay for our sins. The the, the Son of God came into the world armed with the Word of God. And what he learned from that Word in communion with his Father was that his mission was to make atonement. His mission was the cross, and in the wilderness he was pushed intensely, fiercely, by Satan himself to avoid the cross, but he stood his ground. He set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he knew what was waiting for him there. And that's where he paid for our sins. That's what you find in the Word, in the wake of your own sin. What you also find is 1 John 1, 9, which says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. What you also find is 2 Corinthians 7, where Paul says godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. You see, the word has an answer, and not just one, but all of these answers and more, whenever we fail and fall. And you need to be armed with that, too. It's the Word of God that enables wounded, bloodied soldiers to get back up and keep fighting. The Word has an answer to withstand every temptation, including the temptation to stay down when you've fallen. So we look to Christ not only for the example that He set in wielding the Word, but in the mercy, the abundant mercy that we find in him whenever we haven't been the people of the word that we ought to be. So here's how I want to challenge us today. And, and here's where this touches down when it comes to our own habits, our own spiritual disciplines. If you're going to be armed with the word, in the ways that we've just been learning about. There's just no way around it. You've got to have some habit in place in your own life of spending time in that word. I'm sure you've heard that before. We can all afford to hear it again. If you're going to be armed with the word in the ways that we've been learning about from Ephesians 6, you've got to have some habit in place in your own life, of spending time in that Word. Because God has made us that way. 
He's designed us that way. To be, in the best way, creatures of habit. Well then, this is going to be no exception to that rule. No departure from that design. Our relationship to the word then needs to be habitual. A heartfelt habit. And so the question becomes, the challenge becomes, do you have habits like that in place? Is it a matter of heartfelt habit in your life that you're spending time in the Word? That's that's the question today. That's the challenge. And obviously, we're walking a fine line here as we consider this today. I've got to be careful up here as a preacher in, in urging this upon you today. On the one hand, I want to urge you, I need to, and urge myself, on the basis of God's word, that yes, we need to be cultivating regular habits of being in our Bibles in some way. On the other hand, we have to respect the wide freedom and latitude that belongs to us as Christians when it comes to exactly what those habits are going to look like in any particular Christian's life. That's why we're proceeding with caution here. Yes, we, we can urge, we must urge that, that we want to cultivate these habits, but we've also got to be careful that we respect that freedom, that latitude when it comes to what these habits are going to look like. There are lots of good daily Bible reading programs out there. In fact, there are so many of them, it's almost overwhelming. There are lots of good daily or weekly devotional publications out there. Maybe you've sampled some of them and and you've been blessed by them. I'd be a Pharisee if I stood up here in the pulpit and said, your regular habits of being in the Bible must look like thus and so, especially if I, if I take what works for me as a Christian and urge it upon you as if it were the word of God, as if that were the commandment, the requirement of God. No, we've got freedom here. We've got latitude here. So what I can say from the pulpit is figure out in your own life what it's going to look like. And what I can also say, and I love being able to say this, to us as a church family, is that we can help each other in this. That's one of the great things about the church and about belonging to the church. As fellow Christians, we can encourage and guide each other and share with one another how we have learned and how we've grown along the way in being heartfelt, habitual readers of the Bible. Here at New Hope, let me say, that's one of the great things about our sermon discussion. That sermon discussion is a golden opportunity for us to stir one another up to love and good works, stir one another up to the cultivation of these habits. That sermon discussion is a chance for us to share with one another the wisdom that we've gleaned, the resources that we've benefited from. When it comes to your own regular habits of being in God's Word, the Bible does not prescribe a precise plan, but the Bible does say, get wisdom. Get wisdom. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Are you regularly in your Bible so as to be armed the way you need to be, in a way that fits who you are?
and the way you're wired and what life looks like for you right now and how long your commute is. I mean, it really does become that practical. Are you regularly in your Bible so as to be armed the way you need to be? And if not, how can you, how can we as a church family come together and do better and cultivate those habits again? Think about Psalm 1. Psalm 1, the gateway to the Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. The implication is we ought to have that kind of daily, even nightly, relationship to the Word. And brothers and sisters, this is where we have it now. We've got it in the writings. We've got it in the Scriptures that make up our Bible. Or think again about Psalm 119. Listen again to one of the verses I read earlier in our service. It's verse 20, where the psalmist says, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Well, if you love God's Word like that, if you long for it like that at all times, well, then naturally, there's going to be a regular, habitual reaching for it and reading it and thinking about it so that you take it with you because you long for it like that. Or one more, Colossians 3, where Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, think about it. It's only going to dwell in you richly if you are reaching for it and getting it in you regularly. There's no other way. So, friends, whatever precisely it's going to look like in each and every one of our lives, whatever precisely it's going to look like in the particular stages of our various lives, let's be a people who arm ourselves with the Word, and surely that means reaching for it and reading it and rejoicing in all that we find there. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have provided for our being sufficiently armed for spiritual warfare. We thank you especially today for the word. And we're reminded today of just how much we need it, how much we need to be armed with it for the trials and temptations that push us and pull us away from you. And so we do pray today that you would grant us grace to be refreshed in this commitment, the commitment to be a people of your word regularly, habitually. Thank you for Christ, who is the living word, and we pray in his name. Amen.